0: You're listening to The Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 SN, your home for community radio.
1: All right, are
0: you ready? Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Gary Tinney and I'm sitting in for Tom Ficklin. Um, I would like to introduce you to Jeffrey Fletcher, the founder of the Ruby Calvin Fletcher Afro-American History Museum. Good morning, Jeff.
1: Good morning, Gary. Thank you for having me this morning.
0: Um, If you could uh,
1: please introduce yourself. Yes, sir. I am, as uh, your host, Gary Tenney, has mentioned, I am Jeffrey Fletcher. I am the president of the African-American Collections Incorporated, which is a 501c3 and also the executive director of the Ruby and Calvin Fletcher African-American History Museum located at 952 East Broadway Stratford, Connecticut.
0: Thank you. So uh, let's start off with, uh, just tell me a little bit about your journey. Um, I was, uh, fortunately I was able to uh, visit the museum uh, numerous times and uh, I can't tell you how taken back I was by, you know, visually and, and, what I heard from you and the history in the museum. It just, it really, uh, I learned a lot. So
1: if you could just walk us through your journey and tell us a little bit about it. Okay, so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's basically a passion. It has turned into a passion, but then I've learned that it also turned into a journey involving history, but as well as family legacy. So this all started, as for those that... Don't know uh, who I really am and where I came from. Um, I grew up in a small rural community in southeastern uh, Connecticut called Colchester, Connecticut. And a lot of folks may not know where that is, but it's tucked away up by Norwich and New London and led you to the casinos. And my parents, Ruby and Calvin, uh, they migrated from the South, South Carolina and North Carolina. My mom from Camden, South Carolina. My dad from a place uh, called Fuquay Farina, North Carolina. But You know, their journey to get here was part of the the great black migration uh, as African-Americans were were fleeing the South due to Jim Crow laws, segregation, housing and um, unemployment rates uh, were skyrocketing. So they made the journey across this country, many African-Americans, and they landed to where they are today. Many folks, as we know in New Haven, had done the same thing my parents did on that journey from South Carolina, but they met in Colchester where they raised four children. But the interesting part about this story and this journey was that my mom, who grew up in Camden, South Carolina, and if you're familiar with the logo of the museum, you'll see a tree, but you'll see a shack. And that shack is indicative of where um, my mom grew up in Camden, South Carolina on a sharecropper's farm with her seven brothers and sisters and my grandparents. And um, the tree represents the elm tree, Connecticut elm tree, uh, which they are now in turn in uh, Colchester in, in our local cemetery there. So there was a beginning and there was an end, but the end didn't stop there because when my mom passed, who was the main motivator of this museum for me to do it, the passion, the legacy, she was a collector at at an early age in, growing up in the South. And she collected a lot of, Objects, man. A lot of your, our black families would have seen um, these objects. Um, they would have seen these objects in uh, their grandparents, great grandparents' homes salt, pepper shakers, and a lot of ephemera type of objects. And my mom collected this stuff, not knowing what it will, where it would end up, some 40, 50 years later. But uh, as she collected these objects, it meant something to her. And uh, upon her passing. Um, I inherited the uh, collection, which was about 450 objects. And uh, to this day, I've amassed about 12,500 pieces of artifacts that I have collected throughout the 15 years um, after retirement from the city of New Haven Police Department. So this journey started uh, back in the 1930s with my parents and it ended up in my hands. And here we are in Stratford, Connecticut, uh where this museum is now officially located and it is the first african-american history museum of its type in the northeast
0: if you could uh identify that defining moment when you said to yourself i'm going to make this happen i'm going to move forward on this
1: Well. I mean, uh, part of the question I got—I heard the last part of it. The identify yeah. questions.
0: Uh, yeah, I'll repeat. Um, if you could identify that defining moment when you said, "Okay, I'm gonna take this on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this happen."
1: Okay, so upon receiving the collection, because my mom passed before my dad, and uh, when I got the collection, went home and retrieved the things that my mom had stored for my brother and my sisters. To take with us, because she kept everything uh everything from hand uh pot holders and pictures and everything that she compiled in bins for us. but when I took these objects that were given to me from her or by my dad and her, I took them to my home and um I took them to my home in Colchester, uh Branford, Connecticut, where I reside, and what I did was I laid them out and I did not realize exactly the scope of what I was looking at until several weeks later as I'm transitioning out of the police department, that career. And I went back into my basement and I looked at everything on the floor and I realized that my mom had a story behind her collection. And so it wasn't until that point that I decided to uh, say, I got to continue this legacy, but I'm sure she had a story that she wanted to tell using her collection to uh, share with uh, uh, folks in, in schools and civic organizations and even uh, communities. And so uh, that's when I decided that, you know, I would start packing this stuff up and knocking on doors in New Haven, Hartford, Bridgeport, Waterbank, and basically whoever wanted to sit and talk to me and look at this, this as I called it back then, stuff. So uh, that was, I think, the defining moment when I realized that my mom had a story behind these objects. Wow,
0: that's amazing. And for you to be able to put this whole thing together, I, I, I can't tell you, I remember when, I, I think I, I was there with the, uh, one of the groups there, one of the, I think the links. Yes. Trip there, And uh, I can't tell you the conversations and the uh, response from folks. You know, folks are just, you know, when we see certain things, sometimes we don't know the meaning uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you have anything close to you that you could show, or um, and, yeah, uh, and and speak to. You know, again, yeah. I mean, there you go. We we've seen that over the years on the box, and uh, but we never really knew the. You know, some of us, some of us didn't know the meaning behind it. So, if you could just speak to uh, some of your collections and, and, what, and what you know what they meant.
1: Yeah. So. We, uh, as I said, I've enhanced the collection twofold, twofold. And especially like the object that you just saw in my hand, those objects represent a time in our history where African-Americans were depicted as servants, um, slave uh, uh, servants, butlers, and that sort of thing. But the ironic part about this, is as uh, people, African-Americans, they collected those objects as well as white folks, but we collected them for more of a sentimental value. White folks collected those objects because they were dehumanizing, they were um, negative, and plus they casted um, uh, all sorts of bias and, and bigotry to these and used to dehumanize People of color. Um, I tend to take these negative objects that we may sometimes um, interpret as being negative towards African American uh, people, and use them as an educational piece in talking about um, how uh, how perception and stereotypes are are, are born. And uh, but over the years, uh, these pieces have um, actually been uh, um, conversation pieces, uh, especially that piece, but. Again, a lot of my my, um, foundation for what we're doing here is to discuss those hard things that we uh, have issues with today. And uh, both both sides, black and white, have difficult times, especially African-American people. They have a difficult time seeing this hard history. White folks um, these days are looking at it as taboo to even try to discuss or talk about because they want to be Um, either sensitive or socially correct uh, uh, when they talk about these objects. Here at this museum, we encourage open and free conversation because in order for us to move forward, we have to come from out of the dark and talk openly about what these objects represent and how uh, much of an impact they may have on either side of uh, the the line there, whether you're black or whether you're white. So uh, these objects are very important. and And I don't think my mom realized that at the time but i think through spirituality and divine intervention um she's invoking uh those thoughts uh, every day as i come into this museum and we do tours in the museum as well as do outside presentations to organizations and schools wow now
0: if i uh, if i may how how uh, where's your mom from your
1: mom and my mom's my mom is from camden south carolina and that's a little bit inward, and inland. It's not on the coast. Um, my dad um, is from Fuquay Farina, North Carolina, which is just outside Raleigh. Uh, my my mom, as I said, and her seven brothers and sisters, and my grandparents, they lived on a sharecropper's farm, which was a three room uh, house, as you might see sometimes as you're venturing north southbound on I ninety five. Once you get past the Mason Dixon, you'll look out in the fields and you'll see these shacks that are out in the middle of this acres of land so those were type of uh, dwellings that she lived in and uh they had to work those farms uh in order to stay there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I just want to kind of thinking I'm just going through uh, a couple of months ago I, I went on a tour in uh, South Korea and uh the Hilton Head and around the, the Gullah Islands and I went on a Gullah tour and the gentleman that uh um Narrated everything. He was he was phenomenal. He's from the Gullah Islands. He, uh, you know, he walked us through the whole journey, and uh, and that's what I'm thinking about right now. I learned so much from that that tour. It was one of the best tours I've ever been on, mm-hmm. and uh, the rich history. And you, know, you talk about sharecroppers, and but he spoke uh, in depth about you know folks where they came from, where they were picked up, you know, the, where the uh, they brought us and enslaved us. You know, um, if you could just speak to that a little bit, I appreciate. it.
1: Yeah, so my my mom, although you know she understands gullah because they're descendants uh that are relatives of hers. And if you're around folks and we have them in New Haven, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and work with some folks who have uh were entrenched and in, in, in their roots or they say their roots are from <laughs> South Carolina. And, excuse me. And so um if you're if you're fortunate enough and you around that that group of people from the south especially along the coastline you will hear the Gullah dialect and it's Mm. very very fascinating very interesting and I guarantee you you will not understand it because it has a mixture of Creole Spanish little French little English and uh, like a patwag as they would be uh, as West Indian folks would be using in their dialect in their, their conversation so it's a very complicated language but again Um, My mom understood that and she understood the fact of being called a Geechee was not a bad thing because Mm -hmm. uh, her diet, and even as she got older and came North and, and raising a family, our diets consisted of rice, cabbage, fish. um, And uh, very rarely do we eat meat. And so, um, you know, that whole area in the South, it it, it was it, it, rich in culture, as you already witnessed by going on that tour, and um, you know the museum is. Uh, we talk about that. We talk about the travels, um, the the transatlantic voyage or the Middle Passages from the continent of Africa, and you'll see displayed in the museum where we recreated a hull of a slave ship, and in that hull of a slave ship, if you've seen Gary yourself, it it maps and it tracks. Um, how many souls were taken kidnapped and uh, from the continent and and dropped off all all across the, this world but if you look at the map and see the journey from Africa all the way to the south of uh, South Carolina where it was the hub and the port of uh, slaves and then becoming enslaved were brought into um, it's it's astounding um, to see the traffic not only in South Carolina but along the Caribbean as well. And uh, one of the things that I'm excited about with the museum is that we will be including uh, the Latinx um, uh, uh, culture and history in this museum because we do get a an enormous uh, amount of um, traffic from uh, Hispanic folks that come in to see this exhibit. And a lot of them, you know, they're bewildered when we don't expound and talk about uh, the Latinx Culture being in, uh, involved or integrated into um, the uh, African uh, culture, and we now are looking to uh, intense intensify that those these exhibits in the museum because the Hispanic culture and spirituality and food, music, and dance is so aligned to Africa and the the or, original um, uh, uh, ancestors who have. Uh, made it successfully. And I say successfully, not with any type of fanfare or glee, but painfully made it across the Atlantic to um, the islands and uh, their strong culture and history was enmeshed into the um, hybrid of that, uh, those, those islands.
0: So when you mention that, so you, you're looking at, you look at some of the Caribbean islands, uh, you know, when you think of the islands where folks were, were dropped off and, and enslaved, and can you just name some of them? I mean, you, you yeah. spoke there.
1: Puerto Rico, uh, Haiti, um, um, uh, Haiti, uh, St. Martins, uh, all of the islands that we will visit today as tourists, right? Mm-hmm. And we will vacation there. It's kind of like uh, the bastion of uh, going to... Uh, some sort of mecca where it, it, it was—it's uh, a, a great place. But um, and and I, I have a, a a fellow colleague, retired police uh, supervisor who's from—you might know her. She's from uh, Saint Martin's. Uh, mm. Lieutenant uh, Captain Pat Hellinger. and she's oh wow, from, yep, Patty's from uh, from ha- uh, from Saint Martin's, and she's very active in that uh, Saint Martin the island in government. And one of the things that um, we're working on is trying to get me to get there to uh, spread some of this information about um, uh, slavery and, and uh, uh, the, the whole industry, uh, what was going on here in the States. So St. Martin's is one of those islands, Haiti, Jamaica, um, because they were under European or British rule and, uh, and where, did, where did slavery uh, evolve from? Basically, I mean we, what we could say it goes back as far as the uh before the pyramids that's correct but um it was more pronounced um uh, as it evolved from England um mm. and the slave trade was very strong from England and uh then it branched out but the islands are heavily influenced with uh African uh, culture and history
0: <clears throat> now um are you doing are you traveling are you going to different schools and Sharing your your uh, knowledge in uh, the history of
1: uh, well, I'm, I'm still a student. So when okay. you say knowledge, <clears throat> I want to I want to make sure, and I should have prefaced this before. I am not an expert, right? And I don't I don't hold any degrees in anthropology or uh, 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 African American history. I am i a, a pa- I'm passionate. I'm, I'm I love our history. I'm still learning. Um, when folks come through this museum. Um, they drop uh, nuggets of, uh, of intellect on our history, so I, I'm constantly learning, but to, to that question, we do reach out to um, elementary, junior high schools, high schools, colleges, and as I said earlier, to whoever feels the need that they want to um, uh, impact, use this uh, museum as a tool or a vehicle to help in their curriculums. Um, and one of the things that uh, I'm proud to say is that we have, being that I come from 25 plus years in law enforcement, and with the increase of uh, police versus black and brown citizens, I have used this museum and some of its pieces to talk about um, perception of how um, when a police officer uh, violates the civil rights or the lives of African American brown folks. This is how they're perceived. So I go into these uh, academies and I go into these police departments and I do these programs where we discuss, um, you know, what how you are perceived and why you are not trusted in our urban communities. And we we talk about this. And then I I show them some of the objects that. Um, would uh would make a, a black or brown person not be trustful trustful of you, and uh, nine times out of ten it it resonates. And what it does is it gives these um these officers another um tool to put in their their tool their utility belt to help them do their job better when they are encountering people of color. Um, so we've we've worked in East Haven Police Department when unfortunately that whole situation occurred in that community um, years ago. And we were still young at the time. And we were asked by the uh, State Department to go in and uh, do several days of a program in which we did. And uh, we're connected to Bridgeport Police Department. And we just uh, had a couple um, workshops uh, at the City of New Haven uh, Training Academy as well. So this museum just isn't a place where we have a bunch of stuff. We Mm -hmm. use this museum to help teachers in building their curriculums, especially as uh, these courses, AP courses and African-American history is not a required course, but it's called an elective, which I think it should be required on the educational level in order to graduate. But needless to say, this um, museum serves as a, um, a tool for teachers to enhance their curriculum, but also their knowledge and teaching their students uh, when it comes time to talk about African-American history.
0: Wow. So that, that goes to my next point, you know, the importance of uh, African-American history and how relevant it is to what we're experiencing today. You know, what we're seeing today in today's society. You know, sometimes I run into folks who say, uh, let, uh, let the past be the past or, you know, that, that that's doesn't make that, sense. That
1: was me. then. That was then. This is now. That's right.
0: So when I hear that, it's just so. And, and what we're experiencing today, it just seems like we're set. We're possibly setting folks up. If we don't know our history, then that puts us in a place where we're. Where we're uh, we don't know what direction to go in. If we don't know where we came from, we don't know what, what direction to go in. So yeah. um, I'm constantly when I speak to some of the folks that I mentor, um you know, Knowing the history, I show them I, I share all the books that I have. Uh, I asked them to really look into like Paul Robeson, his journey. Um, there's so many heroes and sheroes that we have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if they watch the new movie, Harriet, um, her journey, you know, there's a, a woman that she escaped and then she went back, I think, what 30 times to save yep. more folks. Through those swamps and i would i don't you know i know with looking at those swamps and going through the, the little tours that i go on i i would have never uh, been able to do that so i'm just i think about the the uh the courage and the oh. fortitude and faith faith um having that faith and and uh, and that strength to persevere and move through all that mess uh it's just uh i, I just don't know i have to you know, I thank God for their strength and what they, the foundation they've laid for us. Um, so if we want to, if we go back to, again, the importance of our history and how relevant it is to today.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I, I tell folks to what you've just said, every time we have a group of people that come through here or organization or schools that come through or individuals we try to get out here and do these tours. We don't leave, let folks walk through the front door and just randomly walk through, because you can interpret, and this is very, very sensitive, but difficult history for people to uh, uh, to understand. And so they need some sort of assistance on, on the motivation of this and certain areas in this museum that they need explanation. And when you talk about people coming through the museum, and they look like you and I, and they automatically say, that was then, this is now, I know all this history because I lived it. I tell them, you didn't live this history, because if you did, you and I can go out and make some money, because that tells me that you, uh, you uh, are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, which we all know what that means. And that tells me that you were around that period of time, slavery, early Jim Crow, So this history is hard for you. So I say, we gotta stop making excuses for why we do not wanna see more of this history. But I often tell folks that when they finish going through this museum and we go into a space we call the decade space where we honor and celebrate those black heroes and sheroes who have defied Jim Crow, defied uh, discrimination, bigotry. And I say, those folks on the wall there that we see the Michael Jordan's, the Beyonce's, the Jay-Z's, the Magic Johnson's and so forth, Denzel, Spike Lee's, they're standing on some very, very tall, broad shoulders as I and you are, right? Because think about 50, 60 years ago, even here in Stratford, Connecticut, I would not be here, right? And we know that the demographics were very different in this community as well as various communities around the state of Connecticut. So I use this this museum as a epidemiology study often because it is, as I called, a litmus test. A litmus test to see our knowledge, our acceptance, and, um, and, and if we are going to support. And if we're going to talk about uh, evening the playing field or if we're talking about um, trying to change the minds of people we have to look at the things that are are important and helping to change those minds to make lives better for african-american folks instead of sitting back waiting for things to come our way and so that's why one of the motivating factors here was we don't have an african-american history we have no no institution to tell our narrative the closest narrative that we can tell is on the Yale campus Yale University campus, the Gelman Center they those folks do some good work there right they do a lot of academic research work right and they delve into the past but I think we are different from the Gelman Center who has probably outfunded us heads and heads and shoulders but <laughs> we bring our history across the board and we just don't focus on one area which is, the migration or the migratory practices of uh, Africans that were kidnapped from Africa, taken from the continent, and dispersed all across the world. So we get in some really heavy, deep conversations and discussions. had a deep discussion yesterday for 45 minutes with the Secretary-Vice President of Yale, um, Ms. Kimberly um, Goff-Cruz, and uh, it was very entertaining but very enlightening, and I learned a lot. Um, of what Yale is doing so they're doing a lot of work there but I think there's more work that can be done and I think uh, with a strong collaboration and partnership um, this whole thing could work out because this museum has Yale connection right the Yale connection is John W. Sterling I got to say that because his law firm 172 years later decided to want to be the first pillar to give us seed money to start this museum. And if we all don't know who John W. Sterling is or was, he was a, um, a, uh, uh, a graduate of Yale University. He lived, comes from this community in Stratford. Um, and when he graduated in 1865, which was profound because we all know that the, prox- uh, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation was signed, so to speak, uh, maybe a decade later, he co-founded the law firm of Sherman and Sterling LLP. Now, John wow. Sterling was the same, is the same John Sterling that donated $15 million to Yale University, which built the Sterling Memorial Library, built the law school at uh, Yale, and the same office on the corner of Grove and um, Grove and um, Temple, mm-hmm. where I was sitting with the, the Secretary of Yale yesterday. So we have rich history with Yale, and there is a nexus. Even though we're not in New Haven, there is a nexus. And we will be moving into John W. Sterling's childhood home, which is a 9,000 square foot mansion and historic resident uh, by next year this time. And the last part of this is that there's a Yale connection because Colchester, my hometown where I come from, we have now started the conversation and we're in the developing plans of bringing the second African-American History Museum to Connecticut. Who'd ever thunk it? I mean, when it rains it pours, right? But you know what? I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not crying over the fact that uh, you know we have an opportunity to bring two institutions for learning and understanding and being a part of what we're trying to do and in, in bridging the gap and telling the, our narrative. Wow, that's amazing!
0: Congratulations. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure your parents are just. Smiling in heaven, that, that's uh, that's amazing. Uh, um, or, or,
1: or they're saying, you know, boy, you, we hope you didn't bite off more than you can chew, but you know <laughs> what? It, it keeps me it keeps me busy, it keeps me alert, it keeps me alive, and and you know, it's uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, but uh, you know, you can't beat what's getting, getting ready to happen here. And those both, both institutions are going to serve everybody in the state of Connecticut, not just Colchester. Or Stratford but they're going to be destinations where you can have receptions you can bring folks when they come to town you don't have to bring them to you know the do drop in and have a little reception at the Omni nothing wrong with the Omni but we'd like to have things that uh, relate and look like who we are and what we have achieved so that was one of the reasons why um, also that I, I feel we need to have uh, a, a building of some sort or an institution that we all can uh, cherish and and uh, respect.
0: Wow, that's 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 again that's amazing and thank you. Um uh next my next question is uh out of all your collections um or your pieces uh, which one stands out the most if there is
1: one in particular that's that you know what Gary I, I got to tell you whenever I have been interviewed or folks have come to this museum and their cameras and I think Keith Koontz asked me that last week, Mm -hmm. because Channel 8 is very involved with us, and they're going to be doing a segment on Black History Month and taping uh, next week for Black History Month here, so the production crew will be here uh, for that. Um, He asked me that question. Others have asked me that question. It's kind of like when you ask a mother, and she has several children, (laughs) who's her favorite child, right? The baby. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so that, that was a loaded question, but I hope I hope I can answer they they're all significant, they're all important um from the smallest thing that I showed you just now to the the most hideous thing that sits in my office that uh, you know when you came you and when you came and sat down uh, you didn't expect to see a a, a mannequin with a, a hood and a robe and a sash on it and I uh, saw so you do a double take like, man, what's up with this? <laughs> <laughs> so even that ugly, hideous, and despicable object uh, we're alluding to is a uh, vintage post-Civil War Ku Klux Klan hood and robe that was left here in a box. And uh, when we opened the box, um, it said your museum can tell this story better than my family. So we appreciate the family. If you're listening to us, um, thank you for that object. But. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, every piece has has a, a meaning, a strong meaning. But if you were to ask me which was the most inspirational exhibit, uh, would be the Tuskegee Airmen exhibit. Uh, because, uh, you know, these young men, they defied Jim Crow, left their universities, the HBCU universities. Some of them graduated, some of them just left during when World War II broke out. And uh, they were dealing with Jim Crow. And if we know our HBCUs, they're located in the South. And uh, the the humiliation they had to go through, but when the war broke out, they felt they were patriotic enough that uh, perhaps if they enlisted in the war and uh, brought democracy to those countries uh, to stamp out fascism, um, that they would be perceived and looked at as uh, heroes and people who were just not second class citizens any longer. But unbeknownst to them, when they got into the European theaters in Europe, they realized that Jim Crow was alive and well. Where they were defied uh, access to um, the simple, the, the 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 amenities that officers, because these were officers, they weren't uh, they were in college. They mm-hmm. were going, they literally would have been going through OC. Uh, OCI, Officer Candidate School, OCS School, and uh, they were reduced to sweeping floors, driving, chauffe- chauffeuring, kitchen patrol, digging latrines, um, but uh, again, my, uh, I would say my most inspirational exhibit every morning that I have to pass in order to come up to my office is that exhibit, and I look at those young men and the determination in their eyes and saying, you know what? We will fight Jim Crow here in the United States as well as in Europe, and uh, only to know when they came back, they were reduced to sitting in cattle cars while the German POWs that the camps were in the south, they were sitting in uh, the German POWs were sitting in passenger vehicles with uh, seats and everything while the um, these gentlemen were sitting on crates and uh, cattle cars. so long story short i I would say that that would be a a favorite exhibit but also inspiring and motivating exhibit wow
0: so when you speak of jim crow um i've come across a few folks uh young and old that really weren't uh didn't know what jim crow mean meant uh what would you say to them if you could just i know there's so much to it but if you could i'm gonna i'm gonna
1: simplify it don't think that jim crow all right first of all we need to Jim Crow was not a a real person, right? Mm -hmm. Jim Crow was an exaggerated, but a a word that was used to keep blacks and whites from um, integrating. And those laws were real in signs. They were real in words and so forth. But to put a little bit more context to this, how close Jim Crow was and is to us, and uh, I got to say this. Jim Crow is alive and well, which was in my period 11 years ago, was James Crow Esquire, which was Jim Crow's, is now Jim Crow's nephew or grandson. Jim Crow was alive and well in New Haven at Church and Chapel Starbucks with me 11 years ago. As a uniformed African-American police officer, I was not allowed to use the bathroom at starbucks at at 6 7 o'clock in the morning with a white partner i was told that the key was in the safe and the key would not be taken out of the safe until after 12 o'clock and only to learn because i didn't want to use the color of my my uniform and badge to insist on getting a key i left came back five minutes later my partner didn't know i left and told me he said fletch you could use the bathroom why did you go out there i said because the woman there told me the key was in the safe. He said, that's odd because five minutes ago, this white gentleman in a black suit, white white shirt and red tie gave her the key back and she put it in her apron. And so when I asked her about it, she looked at me and didn't need an answer. Long story. Long and short of the story, I went through the legal stuff, but then I decided to pull the case off the docket before Starbucks out in Seattle, Washington found out. And next thing I knew, that uh, they were sending an email stating that we understand something happened, but we're not going to admit it. So, in 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 lieu of your inconvenience, here's three thousand dollars. But in order for you to get the three thousand dollars, you have to sign a non disclosure agreement, never to talk about the case. Of course, I didn't take the money, and I didn't sign non disclosure because, in my wisdom, in my mind, spiritually, I knew that I would be able to talk about Starbucks down the road, which was about 11, 12 years ago. And uh, if I had taken that money, I would not be able to talk about this case right now. So when we talk about Jim Crow, that's as close as Jim Crow, I think. One of the cases I may have come with Jim Crow was with this, but for our young people, don't think for one moment that those same laws would not apply to you in the year of 2024. You may not see it so obvious, but it, it is done. It will be done in his practice as you and I are talking now, Gary. So um, those are Jim Crow laws. Wow.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, so if you could speak to some of your future plans and uh, uh, your past exhibits, uh, you, know, you know, just talk a little bit about.
1: Uh, so, the, so the future plan is this. We're working on the segment um, to to uh, catapult uh, the museum to um, a destination, but not only for Connecticut, but for the country to look at how this uh, museum is evolving. So we're in a community where the politics and the demographics don't line up with mine, but the people who are in charge in this community have put their politics aside, put their cultures aside, and said, you know what? We really want this community. We want this in our community. We believe it is a start to something big. And so what I've been working on is getting a bipartisan relationship with the community as well as our state legislators, which is working, which is giving us the attention because in the climate that we are today in the United States, the politics and everything is polarized, the right versus the left, left versus the right, black versus white, white versus black, right? So what this museum is showing, as I said earlier, it's a litmus test, but the litmus test is turning out to be a positive because we have bipartisan um, uh, workings, bipartisan politics working together in terms of trying to sustain this museum. And it, because it's here, it's not giving anyone a feather in the cap, right? It's not making the Republican side look great. It's not making the Democrat side look great. But in in actuality, this community is galvanizing. But the schools, there's two high schools here. Bunnell and Stratford, there's a private school here. Fairfield Prep is now involved with those. And so my goal is for the future is to connect all of our schools. I don't care how far they are, how close they are. I want them to be able to utilize this museum as a resource, as a place where they can uh, have their students come here, do research, come in contact with artifacts that they will never ever see up close and personal unless they are working within that that venue. So we 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 are strong in working with the youth and. Um, and so, I mean, we're, we're just trying to uh, sustain. I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, I, I need more of our, our people to be involved and support this, support this like you would support going to a Beyonce concert or a Jay-Z concert, right? Open your checkbooks. Now I'm pleading, I'm begging, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and you know we're gonna we're gonna sustain we're gonna make this work and you know we're applying for grants that's the uh, other goal we're doing we're on a um, a major uh, campaign fund funding for this museum as well as the other museum we have a lot of grants that are in but we we need that support financially um, but we also need bodies here too right mm-hmm. nobody's saying you have to have a degree in African American history. We have a, a diverse group of people that work here from black, white, Hispanic, uh, women, men, retired people are willing to work, roll their sleeves up. And the great thing is that we have some great supporters of the museum in terms of partnerships with Wells Fargo Bank, Subway Foundation, which I give big shout out for because they don't give us anything in, in money wise, but they give us Money I gave us certificates or cards to feed our students when they volunteer here, because I believe in not just having them come here and sit and do things uh, that were arbitrarily mean nothing. I have them come here and they learn everything from A to Z. And at the end, uh, towards the end of the day, we feed them. And uh, I thank Subway for that. And it's a plug. Yeah, Um, because um, we get kids here that volunteer that we don't know their home life. And Mm. I have one story to tell real quickly is that uh, our volunteers, they're honor students, black and white and Hispanic. They are honor students. And we have two that have now are freshmen at HBCUs. They work here. But uh, during Christmas, when we came back from break, Christmas, we were closed a couple of days and one of my volunteers showed up. And they show up too on Saturday mornings. And I said, "How how was your Christmas? And she said, Oh, it was good. I said, uh, did you eat a lot? And she looked at me and she said, no. I said, why? She said, I don't know. My parents didn't make Christmas. And so I said, what did you do? She said, I went to McDonald's and bought something that broke my heart. And, um, you know, and, and, and again, we don't know the the challenges economically that some of our kids come from, but, um, If I can give them something to eat when they're here, I know I can rest when I go home because uh, it's nothing like not having any food. And I'm a little emotional about it because this is a good child, um, senior, and um, it's just sad. And uh, we can do more. And that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm making that pledge to everybody that might be watching this. We can do more. And I'm trying to do what I can do. But this is not about Jeff Fletcher and his family. It's bigger than Jeff Fletcher. And I just want people to know that.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, when you, you spoke of the, the young the student you had, uh, you let me know if there's anything we could do, even if we could uh, set up with some of my uh, partners, if we could set up a, a dinner or anything, yeah. just to kind of bring it home. It's uh uh, you know, I speak to, I talk to young folks every day and, and folks, we forget about our, our blessings sometime and, and don't realize yeah. the, uh, you know, we're quick to judge, but we don't realize what the young folks are going through before they get to school, um, or during the holidays when they don't have those parents, um, or families. Um, and that's what it's all about. We talk about humanity and, uh, helping others is, and, and I've always, that's what my parents have always taught us. Right. Um, And
1: uh, wow, that's that's deep, man. Yeah. And the the thing I want to tell, I think I want to tell folks, because there are people out here that don't understand how a 501 C3 works. Right. Mm -hmm. If you were to write a check to the museum and I'm making the plug, the Ruby and Calvin Fletcher African-American History Museum. Right. When you come here, that money goes in. This is the foundation. Right. That money will not see anything, any part of me or my pockets. It goes straight into this museum, and we do have an accountant that keeps an eye on every penny that comes into this museum. I don't take a salary, right? Because I don't believe in it right now. He he's dying because I'm not taking a salary. Um, I refuse to until I know that this, these museums are going to be strong. They're going to be able to stand up, and then I might request the dollar, right? But. I put in more money than I've received on the outside but that's okay. Um we still can keep the lights and the heat on that's all that matters to me. But that money does not see my pockets it sees the the foundation and that's where that money goes to sustain this this building as well as the next one coming. Um because there are folks out there Fletcher man you you hitting the big Fletcher ain't hitting the big you don't get rich off a of 501c3. So I just had to say that, and I know it it took some of the the light off of my previous conversation I just had about that young lady, but um, Mm. that's what this is about.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you you definitely have uh, succeeded, and I see you're still moving, and if you could just speak to some of your your tour
1: schedules and your hours and events. Well, so my admin person just left. I, you know, she was under the weather, so I had to throw her out. Uh, We went over, we go over my calendar every week because it changes. Right. And uh, we have plateaued from kind of like leaving the basement. Now we're kind of like on the first floor. Now we're starting to move to the second floor in our second year, going into our uh, third year rather. And um, we're blossoming. So, upcoming schedule is uh I'll be on the road um, mm-hmm. presenting to as far away as Cornwall Connecticut Preston Connecticut Norwich uh, Rocky Hill um and so uh, I'm on the road uh, starting at the beginning of the month but also coming back here um, doing uh, organizations and groups uh, later in the afternoon uh, so I can be in Colchester at 9 but I'll be back here by two, and then I'll be at a library at six. Um, so the upcoming schedule is gonna be really critical because we're spending two weeks as we have in the last three years, two years in Middletown, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I will be doing 13 schools in the city of Middletown, plus the high school, and those are two a days. a days I go in at nine, finish at 1030, take a break for about an hour, I hit another school, and I keep going for two weeks straight. And um, uh, then I'll, I'm the keynote speaker next week. I'm sorry, moderator next week um, for the MLK um, uh, day down here in Stratford at the Baldwin Center. So, um, you know, next month is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a lot of vitamins, trying to get <laughs> as much as I can. And uh, keep my fingers crossed because when it's all said and done by the end, middle of March, um, I, I'll, I'll be able to sit back, but sit back for a day and then pick it back up again. So um, I'd rather be busy as opposed to not busy and being known this museum or these museums being known as a place that people are now starting to realize that, um, you know, they can use us. Wow. So i be I just wanted
0: to mention too. I forgot a, there's a music part of the museum too. Um that I really was taking back as we, as you as you're finishing up your tour, if you could speak
1: to that briefly. We have 2 minutes left. Yeah, I see that real quick and then thank you for that. So yeah, the last part of the tour is uh called the Decades Room and when you walk into that space, um we purposely have music blaring and blazing only because um, you, we've dragged you through the difficult parts of this museum, it's heavy stuff hard stuff, but we want you to leave on a positive note, so when you walk into that last space, you're going to see celebrity pictures, you're going to see objects that my parents uh, uh, had, music, my dad's guitars, who couldn't yeah. play but um, one uh, uh, one note, but needless to say, and I see we're running out of time real quickly here that music, is cathar- that room is cathartic and we want folks to um leave on a happy note and we call it the end to the beginning right because we will be picking up on positive accolades of african americans moving to the bigger museum
0: wow that's amazing uh i can't tell you enough Uh, thank you thank you for your time for having me Uh, i uh encourage everybody you know the address of the museum is 952 east broadway Stratford, connecticut um it's, uh yeah, I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking about the guitar, Jeff. Yeah, looking yeah. Look
1: up on the wall. And that you said that was your dad's guitar. Both um, of them. There's two of them. He has six of them. We only put two up. He couldn't read a lick of music, but if you put him in a room by himself for about <laughs> 45 minutes an hour, you come back and you swear he was either the musician, the artist, or part of the band. So he was, he was quite talented. As we, most African-American folks are, we don't do things by theory. We pick up on sight and hearing and tone wow yeah that's a it's
0: amazing again folks if you're gonna close out in a minute uh I uh I can't thank you enough for sharing your journey and, and sharing your 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 museum with everyone um I look forward to the museum in Colchester and I think you have another one um, is there another project you're working on um
1: god uh as, as I'm saying, Colchester and Stratford building uh, the other the other museum out by next year will be in the bigger museum 2025 will be in the Colchester museum so uh, you know the hours here are Monday Wednesdays Thursdays 10 to 3 those are our winter hours and on Saturdays 10 to 3 Um, and we're closed on but I'm here every day so if you drive by and you happen to be in the area and you see vehicles in the driveway um, just come on up ring the bell and somebody will let you in. We're not that big where we can't let folks come in on our days off. Wow,
0: that's amazing! Um, again, um, I just want to say uh, goodbye and, and thank everyone for joining in, and thank you, Jeff, and
1: thank you, Gary. Appreciate uh, it. Thank man. you. Uh, and 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 uh, we're gonna get you in. We got we got another exhibit, another conversation we got to talk about enshrining you. Yeah. Thank you, sir.
0: I'm another rhythm for you. Right. I'm never quitting. On my mission. I'm a roll with right. What I'm giving good talk. this yep. new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling with missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction in the moment you're stressing. But you're me kind of blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working. No, right. have man, a good day. It. All right, then. Right, right. I'm never going to give up, give up. Fall down. I just got to get up, get up. Yeah. Cause this is my roar. Let's get my action You're I'm listening to, to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 103.5 SN Your home for community radio